Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you, and I praise you that you call us to be with you. You call us to take time to come apart and uh, to dwell with you in, in loving ways. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace of being able to experience leisure. Lord, help us to recover that sense of the contemplative way of living. Lord, help us to never settle for less than your very best for us. Mm. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let me welcome to the program right now a author, an author, a friend, and a, a member of the faculty at the Oaks Classical Christian, uh, Classical Christian School here in uh, Spokane Valley, Washington, Devin O'Donnell. Welcome to the program, Devin. Thank you, Tom. Great pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a thrill to have you here to talk about this book, The Age of Martha. When you gave me the book and I saw the title, I'm like, oh, I said, oh, this this is a book we've got to read. Uh, awesome. So we have um, book club uh, on Sacred on Sound Insight, and we've covered a lot of books that are connected with themes that show up in your book, The Age of Martha. We've covered. Uh, the Benedict Option by Rod Dreyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've covered The Power of Silence by Cardinal Seurat. Yes. Uh, and other books that you've mentioned here, and then books that are just very meaningful uh, to me as well. And then just the number of times you quote authors like Peter Kraft and G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis. Yes. It's like, okay, for the win. Not to mention <laughs> not to mention the great saints like St. Saint Benedict and St. Augustine. Yeah, so yeah. super excited to... Um, have you discussed this book, The Age of Martha? Again, I call it a contemplative learning in a frenzied culture. Okay, first question. Yes. What is the most common answer that you hear when you ask someone today, just in the course of your daily activities, hey, how are you doing? What is the number one? I, I, I know this is the right answer. I have it in my head, and you've got to see if you can get it right. What's the number one answer that people will typically say to you when you ask them, how's it going? How are you doing? Good. No, the answer is not good. The answer is busy. Oh, yeah. Busy. Is, isn't that true? <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. How often is that the case that yeah, they'll yeah. just say, how are you doing? I'm busy. Busy, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that that really is the, I think the state of mind that has become normal. That's why we all say it. Uh, if, it if it's not good, it's, it. we're busy, we're doing We're doing so much, we're running around, and, and that's just, that is a norm of modern life. So you think that when they say I'm busy, they mean it as a as an accolade, like a, as a proof that they're being like they're doing valuable stuff? Yes, sometimes that's okay. the case absolutely. I, I don't say it like that. I I will often say this, I'm busy. And then I'm like, "No, sorry. I that is just a rationalization." Right. I'm not living intentionally enough. Yeah. That'll be my response. Well, that's because you are contemplative and you <laughs> and, and are reflective about what actually is going on in the situation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, some, I mean, sometimes people are, you know, look, I'm so swamped. I'm so busy. I'm doing all these things, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I, that's a, it's just too much. And a lot of that is overwhelmed with choices that they themselves have made, right? These are the things that we've committed to. We've, we are the ones that are going out in search of all these things and are restless, right? Um, so so yeah. you mentioned Peter Kraft. He taught at the seminary I was at. Uh, ah, yeah. Across the street from Boston College, okay. so you know he was a philosophy professor yes. at Boston right. College. Yep. Well, he would walk across the street to St. John's Seminary College, and he would teach um, like one or two classes a semester, oh, wow. which was always a gift. Yeah. And do you know what his practice was when he would look at the um, 
the 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 schedule that he had put forward for his uh, the curriculum for his class. If he would fall behind, it's like, oh my goodness, we're falling behind. Yeah. He would have everyone shut the books and he would read poetry. <laughs> now, is right. that awesome? I love that. Is that awesome? That, I, you've never told me that story. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, after reading your book, the I'm going to do that now. I'm going to do that now in like class. A, hey, guys, <laughs> we are falling behind. So the natural thing is to think, uh, yeah. oh, my gosh, right. let's go faster. we got to get right. frenzied. we got to get yeah. frenzied. And instead, he's like, we're so far behind, we have no better option but yes. to shut our books yeah. and yeah. to read poetry. It's uh, So it's almost like um, an inversion of, you know, don't just stand there, do something. It's don't just do something, stand there, right? Yes, I love uh, it. So um, then, then that puts me in mind of, of where, so a lot of the ideas of this book came from a great uh, thinker by the name of Joseph Pieper, uh, who was uh, kind of looking at the rubble of uh, the World War II, Germany, World War II Germany, um, and, and who had to um, address a, 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 an incredibly complex problem of how do we rebuild, right? How do we, how do we get back to work? Um, and so everybody, you know, Germany was, uh, you know, in ruins in many, many ways, not just um, economically and um, in terms of its structure of politics and all of this, but also in, it was culturally ruined, right? Um, and so Joseph Pieper's book, Leisure, The Basis of Culture, is sort of an answer to this problem, and he, he was basically saying, before you we get started in in getting back to work, before we start, um, you know, putting stone on stone and and rebuilding things, we need to actually remember what a culture is, and and where it comes from, mm-hmm. and that and that for him was um, the cultus, right? You can't have a culture without the cultus, and the cultus in Latin is the belief or the religious belief or um, something that is that is higher than just the material existence that we have. So, well, and wasn't one of his key ideas that the German uh, society in that moment placed as an ideal, the worker. Yes, absolutely. Right? It was oh, the right. worker mindset. Of course, yeah. And yeah. therefore being productive. Yes. Right? Yeah. And getting stuff done. Yeah. Right? I, I feel so good today. I got stuff done. Right. And right. honestly, it does feel good to get stuff done. Yeah. yeah. But is that the ideal of what a human being should be? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we are, and, and that that's where that that balance of uh, uh, ora et labora, right? Work and prayer, um, or prayer and work, I guess. Yeah. Uh, would be, you know, uh, um, keeping in 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 mind what what is a man, right? What is the human? And the human, yes, we've been made to have dominion on the earth. We've been made to be productive. We've been made to you know fulfill and multiply and do all these things, um, uh, but. But there is a there is Sabbath too. There is this um, this contemplative reality, right? We're not just bodies. We're not just animals. We we do have souls, and we do have rational will, and we do have minds. And so let's come back around then to the title of your book because it's called the Age of Martha. And um, obviously, for folks that are listening, they might think, oh yeah, they might not know where it is. But Luke yeah. chapter ten tells the story of Martha and Mary. And Jesus is going to be welcomed into their home. Right, right. So uh, you can retell the parable a bit, but then why does this book called The Age of Martha? Yeah, yeah. So we all know this story, I, I think, but but again, it's such a rebuke to our age. Um, uh, Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha, and, and Martha really is, is busy 
but she's busy with things that I, I think is interesting. It's this is good work. It's not like she's um, doing bad things. She's she's. Trust me, when we have folks over, right. Carrie is very happy that she has some Marthas around. Yeah, that's right. That, that's right. Uh, she's not going to be happy. Like I, we used to joke on Saturday mornings uh, when I, she'd wake up and and I would be there looking at the looking outside at the beauty of yeah. nature. And she, I said, "What are you doing?" So I'm contemplating the backyard. She said, yeah. "Can you do that while you're cutting the lawn?" Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And and so there's that definite sense of saying yeah. i'm super happy to have people yeah. getting stuff ready yeah. And, yeah. and providing the work of hospitality hospitality is work and there's no doubt about it and um and and yet it is a, it is creating work so that you might have leisure which is this kind of um sort You're of paradox way ahead i want to but, stay i want to stay on martha yes yes being busy about many things and what does she do right so um you know again jesus kind of overturns our ex- expectations and there's there's no small amount of irony in this in this scene where you know she looking at her sister uh you know compel- asks jesus to to you know, she actually tells dis- Jesus. Tells us, tells Jesus, discipline my sister. <laughs> That's right. Tell Mary to help me. That's right. What's right. going on here? Because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Tell her to get up off, you know, you know, and come help me in the in the kitchen and or wherever she was. Right. Absolutely. And um, and we think, gosh, that's normal, right? She's not really doing anything. Um, but Jesus defends what Mary is doing, right? And he says, she has chosen the best part, and it will not be taken from her. Um, and so what is that, right? That's the thing that kind of interest me, interested me. Um, and then I found, you know, when I, the, the more I kind of researched this idea that this Mary and Martha scene is, is a, full of a rich archetype that church history has dealt with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Gregory the Great that talks about this in Moralia, uh, in Job, where he, he uh, kind of holds up these two characteristics uh, as as types of, you know, the contemplative life and the active life, right? And he says both are good, but but the contemplative life is better. He even connects Mary and Martha with Leah and Rachel, which is super cool, uh, scripturally, just typologically. Um, and he says one had eyes, right, um, and one had hands to do, right? And I think that might be a line from Dante too. So, mm-hmm. well, and. So the, the contemplative life and the active life for folks, and think about that in religious life. If you're living a consecrated life under the vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience, that's not the end of it because you're doing that in the context of a religious community or right. a religious order right. that has a mission. Yeah. And so yeah. some of these missions are more active. They're yeah, out in the absolutely. world. They're teachers. They're serving the sick in hospitals. Yeah. Or they're out in missionary territory preaching the gospel. Yeah. Versus the more contemplative, they live in a cloistered life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're where they're held in reserve. They're right. they enclosed garden. Right. right. I love to explain right. to my That's kids beautiful. like yeah. they, when they go to a cloistered monastery, you have these really high walls. Mm-hmm. And like, well, why is that? Is that so they can't get out? Mm. <laughs> no, so that people can't get <laughs> in. That's right. It's it's a protected garden. Yeah. So that the Lord, the Song of Songs, is going to come into his enclosed garden and commune with these mm. beautiful brides of Christ, these chosen souls who are pursuing the better part. That's great. So yeah. I, that is, I love that that is the, you know, an appreciation for both. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. even the connection that, um, the uh, patron saint of evangelistic activity in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, there are two of them. Mm. Francis Xavier, makes perfect sense, right? He, man on fire, ends of the earth, let's go. Yeah. But the other is a, is a cloistered nun. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, the little flower, Therese of Lisieux. Okay. So here's this little woman who is this uh, patron saint of evangelization or missionary activity. Well, huh. why? Well, it's the, mm. the contemplation of the contemplative right. that's the engine yeah. that provides the fire that's right. for and the power for those who are going out. Yeah, yeah. And you talked about them as types, Yeah. right? Uh, meaning that we can like measure ourselves against them as an ideal that we can approach. Sure. But the great majority of folks listening to this program, we're not going to get to live a life that is either entirely contemplative Absolutely, yeah. or entirely active. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, what do you? Well, th- well, I, and I do think there, yeah, types in scripture, but also sort of characteristics that again go back to what is a man, right? And I do think there is the active life that we all have to be engaged in, and we've neglected. I think that's that's one of the points I'm trying to make, and one of the points that even many others have made. This is nothing new, right? Uh, Joseph Pieper is just one among many who have already said the modern world is everlastingly busied and. And points out, and I'm maybe jumping ahead here. You let's just. This is a conversation, man. You uh, go for uh, it. Okay. Um, points out that that it it this sense of busyness, and and uh, what he calls total work, um, comes from. And w- what he means total, we don't have blue laws on Sundays anymore, right? We 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 no longer live in a world where where Sunday shuts down. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't do commerce. You can't do anything. Um, we live in a world that's always open, that's always going. You can do, you know, sports on Sundays. All, all, it, it, this is like the norm now. And so we've, we've come so far from this idea of a balance, right? And so uh, that's, that's sort of what is behind, what's sort of the impetus of this, uh, this book that I wrote, but, but also of many others. Um, and so back to what Pieper says, he, he points out that the, the, the place from which busyness comes is a surprising sin, and it is the sin of sloth, or uh, what uh, what the church is called acedia. Um, and we, we do not think of busy as being lazy or sloth, right? Um, slothful. So, uh, but that that's where it comes from, and and the reason why. And you can you can I'm going to ask you about this because you you have some Thomistic theology that can uh, help explain this better. Um, but acedia, as as I understand it, is is the the soul's unwillingness to do what it ought to do, what it knows it ought to do. Um, what does Saint Thomas say about that? Yeah, yeah, and th- there's that sadness. Like, it, so we often think of sloth as uh, laziness, as 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 the expression, as rather than the effect. Right. Right. So, right. Sl- uh, achedia or sedia and sloth is less about. Um, laziness as the expression, but rather as the effect of what is the essence. And the essence is, well, the essence is something I'm going to have to tell you after the break. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Devin O'Donnell, the author of the book, The Age of Martha. And we'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back. 
I am talking today with Devin O'Donnell, the author of The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. Devin, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Great. So Devin, you asked me the question about what does Aquinas say about um, about sloth. And we often think of sloth as uh, as this idea of being lazy, right? right? The right. couch potato. Yep, and yep. It's, it's really not. Aquinas says the essence of it is resistance to what we were made for. We mm. were made to find our joy in God. We're made for finding our joy, this sense of fulfillment that overflows in union with God and therefore in doing spiritual things and yeah. engaging the spiritual core of our being. And yes. we resist that. We resist it at the level of the flesh. We resist it at the level of other things that can be um, enjoyable and meaningful and purposeful in life, but they're not the ultimate source of our joy. Yeah. And so sloth is found in so many ways in people who are saying, I'm going to completely engage with mm. all of my powers in things that will allow me to overlook to attempt to undermine, mm. to uh, to destroy or to crush that part of me that says I was made for God, right. I was made to find my joy in God, yeah. and so that's why it's such a it's such a terrible sin today. Yeah, is that we are offered a thousand that's right alternatives. That's right. Yeah as places that promise us yeah. the fulfillment we seek. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that, I've, I've thought about this a lot lately. Um, I'm reading this book, this other book called Acedia and its Discontents by R.J. Snell. Um, but I, I've thought about how uh, Acedia may may come to, and he was known as the noonday devil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it comes uh, to certain people who tend to have things going comfortably. Is that is that fair to say, or it seems to afflict maybe affluent situations where you've got a lot to kind of choose from, uh, maybe? Uh, yeah, it's a great. I, I I'm I will quote now and again on the program what Mother Teresa said, Saint Teresa of Calcutta said mm. about um, poverty. And yeah. She said that the poverty of the modern Western man mm. or woman mm. is a worse spiritual condition yeah. than those that were the outcasts dying on the streets of Calcutta. Oh. And it's a worse That's... spiritual condition. Wow. And I'm thinking, would I trade right. a worse spiritual condition for a better one in her eyes? Meaning mm. surrendering all of these comforts, yeah. all yeah. of the ease, yeah. all of the softness yeah. that my life affords for the sake of getting a better, more uh, a greater spiritual condition? No, yeah. never. Yeah. I, I've never met anyone. Yeah. He's willing to say, <laughs> right. oh, yeah, I'm right. willing to surrender this and go join, yeah. you know, get on the streets of Calcutta and be one of those uh, outcasts who yeah. are, have nothing. Right. They've got nothing. But um, that's a, you know, it's a... Well, and I think that that's where, I think we can, going, going back to your idea of, um, yeah, the leisure being um, something that also is associated with... Uh, the couch potato, right? But that that's actually not leisure either. That 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 could be sloth, right? But that's not the only form of it. Um, and leisure, just thinking about this quote of Mother Teresa's, leisure is not pleasure, right? Leisure doesn't necessarily mean that we're feeling good. And and so we, yeah. when we think of leisure today, we think of en- entertainment. We think of just hanging um, around, hanging around, not doing anything. Yep. Um, it's so true because. Yeah. Um, we make a, there's a big effort made in uh, our parish at St. Joan of Arc. The pastor will, or the priest will regularly challenge the congregation um, in the homilies. It's the Lord's Day. Don't work. Yeah. 
It's the Lord's Day. This is not a time to, not only for you not to be working, mm. but don't shop. Yes. Don't enable other people right. to find profit in their work. Yeah. But then the absence of work yeah. as a category of things or then says, well, what does leisure mean? How, how do I be leisurely if, yeah. I don't, if I don't have the freedom to go work? And, 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 you know, you can easily say, well, do things together with your family. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's an easy way to do it. Yeah. But one of the points that you make in the book, The Age of Martha, yeah. is yeah. that leisure is hard work. Yeah, that's the irony, right? That's that's the or that's the paradox. That's the paradox, I think, um, in that um, it takes just just like when you sit down to pray and, and are you're serious about prayer. Um, that's when the distractions flood in, right? Even if you put your phone away and even if you put everything, you know, your mind, right? Just that that ability to kind of wrestle um, uh, your mind to to have a focused attention. Um, is so difficult. Yep. Well, and it's it. This is one of those things where you don't get it unless you do it. Yeah. Right. So right. I, I like to use the analogy of running. Yeah. Like oh, you know, running. Oh, I can I can run, and you can go out and you can run fifty yeah. yards. Yeah. But you're not going to run a marathon. Yeah. And to say like to just to hear this, folks, that you can have an intellectual marathon mm. in a time of reflection and contemplation being present to a concept in your mind mm -hmm. and just letting being present to that truth contemplating the truth yeah. there we go yeah yeah and then reflecting on it by writing some journal notes yeah and just or just being pre present to it and enjoying yeah. this truth or enjoying like the joke of Kerry discovering me contemplating nature right instead right. of going out and cutting the grass yeah and uh it, my retort to Kerry is <laughs> I said, Kerry, you enjoy so much about how I am present to you, I'm patient with you, right. I'm kind to you, I'm affirming, I see the good that is in you, and I call that out. Yeah. I said, those are the fruits of my sitting here and gazing on the backyard. Mm. So I said, you love the, all of the, this, this goodness that you experience in our relationship, but you may not appreciate how much of those those goodnesses, those yes. parts of the, the goodness that is flowing from me towards you yeah. is yeah. actually traced back not to my personality right. or right. Uh, that I'm striving to be virtuous or I made a decision to do that. No, no, no. There's a richness to it. There's a weightiness. There's another word mm -hmm. that shows up in your book. There's a weightiness to it that is present only because of a contemplative, leisurely approach yeah. to life. Yeah. Is that too strong? Was I no, not at hammering all. my wife? No. Come <laughs> well, on now, she's listening. So it depends on how you said it, of course. That's, that's... <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think what, you're, what we're also getting at is another kind of, um, uh, within this paradox, is it exposes a problem in our world, and that is we, we are dominated by... A utilitarianism, right? And I was just he hearing you say, well, "You you enjoy the good things that I'm able to uh, to to give you to and serve to, up in our serve. relationship." Yeah. But a lot of that good comes from this source of stillness and and um, leisure and contemplation. Uh, and so we often associate something being good if it is useful, right? If there's some utility that's especially practical utility. Mm -hmm. um, and and again, that's not. That's not a, a, a Christian way of seeing the world. That's not an enchanted way of seeing the world, actually. So, um, 
you know, when we think of school, for instance, and that's, that's a large topic of the book, how this relates to educational culture. When we think of school, much of what we ask, if it, if it is good, it is serving some kind of utilitarian purpose. Um, Peter Kraft brings this out in, in one of his books called The Best Things in Life, and he has this dialogue where he imagines Socrates confronting, I think, a, a college Peter student. Peter Pragma. That's right, Peter Pragma. That's right. Uh, so fun. Um, and he says, he kind of asks him, what are you doing? Why are you, re- you know, why are you reading? And he says, I'm, I'm studying to pass my course. Why do you want to do that? To get a degree, of course. You mean all the time and effort and money you put into your education here at Desperate State University is to purchase that little piece of paper? That's the way it is, he says. What is the next question then? You're going to ask me why I want a degree. And you're going to answer, Socrates says, but it's another silly question. Everyone knows what a degree is for but I'm not everyone. A degree, Peter says, is the entrance ticket to a good job. Do you know how difficult the job market is today? And he goes on to explain, you know, I, I need to, do, to get an education to get a job, right? Um, that's actually not what education was for, right? Classically, education was not to um, serve some sort of utilitarian purpose. It, this is why we have the liberal arts, right? Right, which is what frees us to do lots of different things, but especially to train the mind and um, and to elevate, you know, man above his material existence as an animal, um, to cultivate a kind of uh, attention for divine things, even right, um, and and so. And really to cultivate virtue, to be a better human, right? That, that was what education was really about. Um, and so, which is why I teach at a classical school. But much of our education today is, is often utilitarian, you know, um, and, and students still think in this mindset. So, so I, was at a, uh, I was at a raceway watching race cars and watching a demolition derby on the yeah. 3rd of July, because that's what you do in Northern Idaho. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. And the... the there was a guy there who was saying, I'm announcing there's this new school opening up uh, nearby. Yeah. And the headmaster's here and or the principal, whatever their title was, and come and talk to them about the unique approach they have and why it's going to be so valuable today. Oh, interesting. I'm like, hey, man, what better thing to do yeah. at a raceway than go have a dialogue with these folks who are saying, we crack the nut in how to have a great educational right, right. experience for your kids. So I went over there. I'm like, hey, man, bring it on. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. And and he's like, well, we teach them all these competencies. Yeah. And so what we do is we let the kid discover how they see a situation. Like, what's the problem you see here? Yeah. And then how do you find the tools to solve that problem? So it was all about developing these competencies that were based on their personality and yeah. their uh, their uh, things that they're attracted to yeah. and be able to say, we want to help you go as far as you can. And so we're basically enabling you to develop these competencies. Interesting. And I'm like, well, why is that valuable? Right. Right. Sure. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that valuable? And they're like, what are you talking about? You're <laughs> going to be able to have this innovative entrepreneurial sense right. about you and you'll right. be able to go uh, make impact the world and, right. and get a great job. Yeah. And I said, well, my kids go to the Oaks. Right. And I said, my kids are classically formed. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And they said, it's not very practical. And I said, well, you actually learn how to think. Yeah. And you learn how to learn. Yeah. And you learn how to love learning. Yeah. And I said, that's, it may not have, right, this direct line of sight. Right. 
It's the same thing that I'd say to Kerry. Yeah. You may not appreciate it, but if you have someone who knows how to think, yeah. to think well in the light of the true, the good, and the beautiful, yeah. you know what they'll be able to do? Live well yeah, and engage right. well in the environment they're in. But it was it was like I was speaking a foreign language oh, yeah. to these folks who were right. like the ultimate pragmatic yeah. educational model. Right. But ask any employer, right? Um, what would you rather have? Somebody who has the uh, the technical training, or somebody who you know is is um, super good at learning and has excellent character, right? Somebody who's who's technically trained, but you know maybe has bad reference in terms of their character, or somebody who's uh, obviously you want both, but. You know, sometimes employers... I want my, I want my new, uh, brain surgeon to be technically trained. Yeah, okay. okay. Brain but surgeon, for sure. in many parts of business, yeah. you want the, the good human being who's also a clear-thinking human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not a theory. Do you know how I know this? For 25 years, I've served CEOs and senior executives at some really, really big companies like yeah. Boeing and T-Mobile. Yeah. And um, helped influence them regarding getting clear about what decisions they should make how to get their team on board, mm-hmm. finding strategies and implementing them. Yeah. Wow, I'm serving all these high-powered executives and CEOs. Do right. you know how many business classes I've had in my life? Zero. Right, right. Zero, right? right? You know what my degree is in? Philosophy and in theology. Yeah. I've never had one class. Yeah. And then I'm an executive coach serving all these people. Do you know how many, uh, uh, the level of accreditation I've had and the classes I've taken on how to become a coach and the different affiliations I have? Zero. Zero. <laughs> and, but, well, wait a minute. What did I have? I had a formation yeah. that helped me learn how to think, how to communicate, and then how to help other people think and get clear about reality. Yeah. So... Yeah. It is utterly valuable. Yeah, yeah, amen. And and yes, I do want my brain sh- surgeon to to have technical training, but I also want him to be a good person. And yeah. and maybe another another way to illustrate this is um, pointing to a figure that we all know, Steve Jobs. Right, Steve Jobs. Um, no one would say his career was unproductive. You know, you want to talk about innovation, right? He is the man, right? Um, do you, do you know his college career? Do you know how it No, went? I don't. So he, he gave a, a commencement speech at Stanford, uh, I think back in 2005, and he, and he kind of walks through um, a, a short history of his college career. Uh, well, he went to Reed College, in, and I think it's Portland, um, or somewhere in Oregon, uh, for not even a full year, right? Dropped out, okay? Um, he took one class. He took one class. That changed his life. And this is what he says. Um... I dropped in on a calligraphy class. He says, I found it fascinating. None of this had even any hope of a practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we, deci- and we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. He goes on to say, if I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces and proportionality in terms of spacing of fonts. And since Windows had just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would ever have had them either. 
If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on this calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do now, and Apple would have never happened, and so forth. Such an interesting realization. That is really cool. I, I'm going to respond to that, but we've got to go to a break right now. I'm with Devin O'Donnell, the author of The Age of Martha. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell, the author of The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. Devin, if folks want to buy this book, The Age of Martha, which I recommend highly, it's a wonderful book. Mm. Um, where do we get it? Yeah, you can, you can go to the publisher, Classical Academic Press. You can also find it on Amazon. Okay, great. So that's easy peasy. Uh, I'm going to recommend you go to Classical Academic Press. Do you yes. know the website? We show, we'll look it up and we'll, I'll, I'll announce uh, it in a little bit. But yep. Classical Academic Press, uh, I'm not recommending people buy things from Amazon anymore uh, in the post-Dobbs decision world. Yes. Um, we are, we are, Carrie and I have been convicted about the importance of letting our highest ideals show up more fully in our day-to-day -day decisions. Yeah, amen. Kind of like a call to contemplative Yeah, that sounds like you're in being intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad we, we've gotten a little bit through your introduction here. Yeah, and you're, right. We're actually dancing around the, a bunch of different sections of the book called the Contemplative Learning. Yeah. Um, let's let's get a little bit practical. So folks are listening to this. Um, we've identified a little bit about the the value of leisure and a contemplative approach to life. Um, would you help folks that are listening be able to concretize that a little bit? Like if I said, how does give me a couple of ways that leisure can show up in someone's sure. daily life or in uh, on the Lord's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it. I think it first, you know, just has to do maybe with what it what it isn't again. Um, and and one of the things that we we have to deal with all the time is just distraction, um, particularly digital distraction. Um, so one very practical way in which I think we can have leisure is just to remove ourselves from the screens, remove ourselves from the digital media that is just flooded our existence all the time. Um, many people have talked about this, right? John Mark Homer, um, uh, TechWise Family. Um, mm -hmm. that's, he's not the author of that. That is... I'm not sure who that is, but uh, Matt Frad, I know, talks about that a bit. Pints with Aquinas in his podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're just study after study, book right. after book. Right. No, yeah. one, no one is saying... Spend more time on, your on the internet. This is true. I've never found that. This I've is never true. Found yeah. Anybody who's saying that. Yeah. There's no shortage of study or of of um, you know resources out there that are showing us. Yes, this this the digital world we live in now is great. Let's jump into the metaverse. Let's go even further. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. Nicholas Carr's the the shallows. Fantastic. I highly recommend that. Um, but he he really he's a journalist, but he's also kind of a a quasi-classicist too, and he just talks about what happened to his mind, right? Why can't he sit down and read long novels anymore? Why Why does he? Uh, why is he feeling the way he is? And it's a sort of intellectual 
biography of what the internet is doing to his brain <laughs> and to our brains, right? Um, and so that that's a fantastic work. Sherry Turkle is another one who talks about reclaiming conversation. So we want to talk about practical things, get away from the internet, get away from the, the distractions in digital media, also have conversation. Conversation used to be, um, especially if you read somebody like Jane Austen, there used to be an art to it, right? It used to, it used to be, have a, have a life of itself. And, and now we don't have that. She wrote also another book called Alone Together. And the image of that book is a bunch of people in a group, but they're all on their phones, right? And you see this image all the time. You see people out together, but they're actually elsewhere, right? It's this very strange thing that we've, we've created. Um, and so being able to have an intentional conversation with someone is actually really difficult today. I, I remember, so this is like 20 years ago when I'd give talks to people about this theme, I would say that the loneliest place uh, in the world these days is Friday night in the crowded nightclub. Right, yeah. You know, never are you surrounded by so many other right, people right. pressed in on each other yeah. with so much noise and so many lights flashing yeah. and you can't even hear. Right. And and you'd think the last thing in the world that you are there is lonely. Yeah. And yet you have the most desperately lonely people there. Never so lonely as in a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't have to do that anymore. I can yeah. just point to the sad state of families in a restaurant. And everyone's on their own device. Yeah. No one's having a conversation together. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, crowded without community, right? That that image also is interesting because it puts me in mind of another point that Joseph Pieper makes, not just in leisure, but also in um, other works. In Tune with the World is another great work of his, where he talks about the nature of festivity. And, and that's, again, related to this idea of leisure, uh, the Greek word skole, which we can come back to. But... Um, you know, we're going to run out of time. We're not going to be able to come back to many. Uh, okay, things okay. Here. Well, just to point out another way, and another way to 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 elevate your existence above the animal, is in the feast day. Right? Calendars matter. Um, humans think of time in sort of two ways. We and 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 two Greek words help in this regard. Chronos, right, which is related to the the Titan that. Ate his children, right? So the Chronos is that her chronological chronological time. clock time. Clo yeah, it's the clock time. It's ticking, right? Yeah. It's coming after us. Right? We're running out of time. Mm -hmm. um, all of that sense of hurriedness, um, but also uh, of just time is measurement, right? Time mm -hmm. is quantity. Um, the well, it emphasizes past and future. Right. right? Exactly. It's the flow from past exactly. to the future, or the yeah. future going into the past. Yeah, and we're bound by that, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's a reality. But there is another. Uh, word for time, kairos, kairos in, in Greek, and that is often translated in scripture as um, hour or occasion, right? When my, when my hour is not, my, my time has not yet come. Those, now is the time. Now is the time, right? That sense of fittedness, that sense of here's the time. Let's, and that happens with the feast day, right? Mm -hmm. So calendars matter. The, what, what, we, what we stamp on a calendar as sacred time matters. Um, in the Old Testament, right, there was a sense of sacred space, right? The temple uh, was shaped and built in, in a certain way so that it wasn't used for commercial purposes. Even the way it was built wasn't supposed to be used for commercial purposes. And, and, it, and that's why Jesus, when he goes into the temple, he's overturning everything. He's, he's not just upset uh, at, at the exploitation. He's upset 
that this this was never supposed to happen. You're betraying the use of the space. That's right. It was sacred space, right? The same thing exists with time. Time and space are related, right? So you can have a sacred time, which is why we get the idea of a holy day, right? A holiday. Um, We are so bankrupt in this regard, too. This is why I love the church calendar. Rediscovering the church calendar was an incredible change in in my life. Um, And and the church saw fit to say... um, we're going to orient our, our sense of uh, qualitative time around the life of Christ, right? Um, it begins in Advent, right? It, it progresses uh, through his life, um, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, right? Uh, Lent is important, right? Easter, right? All of this. Um, but then you also have so many other minor feast days that are, are super important as well. And, um, and, and, the state wants control of the calendar as well. Whoever's going to control the calendar is going to actually control control what we celebrate, control what the culture is that we inhabit, Um, which is, you know, you go onto Google and there's always like a new day that you've never heard of and Mm -hmm. some, you know, it may be fine, but anyway. That's a really, that's an interesting point. So I'm um, uh, going to go backwards to uh, the first way to experience a sense of leisure uh, let's go back to Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And I'm sure. going to put you on the spot here. Okay, okay, here we go. So in Pieper's book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, it's actually the name of the first essay. And there are two, oh, essays, there are two essays in the book. Yes. So do you know the name of the second essay? This is a trick. Okay, the philosophical act. Yes, <laughs> yes. And it is, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's as good as the first essay because he goes into... Yeah the the contemplative mm. approach to thinking and yeah. he he's critiquing you know the he's focused on theoria rather than right. the the practice the praxis right. Right. right that we focus so much on the practical that yes. we miss the theoretical or the yeah. contemplative yeah and one of the things that um, I did with my kids growing up mm. is we would have quiet times yeah and quiet times weren't don't talk it was it started off as that game. Okay, who can not be quiet for 30 seconds and then right. a minute, then two minutes, five minutes. And then it became learn how to be still. And I would have them just sit and be still mm. in silence. And I would say, I want you to pay attention to what is happening around you in the environment, what is happening within you mm. in this space here, and then mm-hmm. what's happening within you. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, be open to the Lord speaking. Yeah. And so it was teaching them, it was forming them yes. in a contemplative mode yeah. of being present right. in their lives. Yeah. And so we would have quiet times of 30 minutes, all my kids sitting around for 30 minutes of quiet. Mm-hmm. And it was all about, the whole purpose of it was to foster in them a contemplative attitude. Yeah. Um, now, we don't do that anymore, sadly. And I think there are losses, mm. but I also think that it was a, a powerful and important way to help in, introduce my kids to the reality of leisure. I love that. And the reality of worship. Yeah. And the reality of being receptive yes. in relationship to God and to the world around you. Right. So, right. well, we're up against another break. I'm, again, I'm talking with Devin O'Donnell, and he is the author of The Age of Martha, Contemplative, a call to contemplative learning in a frenzied culture. When we come back, I'm going to give you the website you can go to to order that book, and then we'll continue this conversation. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Devin O'Donnell. He's the author of The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. I recommend this book, and I recommend you get it by going to classicalacademicpress.com. Classicalacademicpress.com. What a brilliant website, right, yeah, for Classical Academic Press. Yeah, that's right. Classicalacademicpress.com. And look up the book The Age of Martha by Devin O'Donnell. Devin, um, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. Mm. Uh, you have emphasized some of the like just important keys to like recovering you know really the sense of being human yeah right? living well as a human being yeah. called to elevation as a child of God mm-hmm. right um, talk about something that Carrie and I have found extremely like we use it as a as a as a foundation for understanding are we living well as a family in accord with God's call to us and that is this call to a communion of persons mm. that I find the greatest joy when I find my kids in communion together, like yeah. enjoying each other. Yes. Yeah. Like they make room for each other. Yeah. They welcome each other. Yeah. They celebrate each other. Now, guess what? They're not using any of those words. Right. But it's how right. they are. Here's another beautiful sign of connection to leisure. Play. Yeah. They know how to play yeah. in a way that's authentic. It's... It's not measured and it's not, uh, That's right. we're playing for the sake of achieving the next level. No, That's we're right. just enjoying each other yeah. in this free uh, engagement of, of life. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, so play uh, and, and uh, leisure have an interesting connection. Um, and this is something I, I talk at great length about, but the, the Greek word... There's a lot of Greek words for school, uh, or, a, or a few of them at least, um, and they're all related to this idea of, of leisure. Uh, the Greek word for leisure is skole, um, and to understand this concept, um, Professor Dr. Honeycutt bet, um, says this in a lecture on history of Western leisure. He says, directly contrasting leisure, skole, with work, oskolia, Plato taught that working too much was unwise. Indeed, this was one of the primary teachings of the academy. In working more than necessary, taking excessive care of business, chasing after unnecessary wealth, excessive reputation and pleasures, and so on, people made bad use of their freedom, choosing to become voluntary slaves to their baser nature. Idleness was equally unwise. Leisure was not simply free time for excessive sleep, wool gathering, or inactivity. The sign of an educated person was active leisure, playing sports and music, engaging in public debate, doing philosophy. The closer one came to one's more essential self and the truth, the more energized the soul became. Education meant turning the eye of the soul upward toward a person's authentic nature and toward truth acquiring the discipline and skills necessary to do the liberal arts was difficult. Students had to work at their lessons. Nevertheless, the goal of academic work was freedom. And so, skole is where we get our word school, right? We don't usually think of that when we think of uh, school, right? We have all kinds of other associations when we think of school. In addition, the noun, ludus in Latin, uh, means school, but it also means play or a game, right? Uh, so these are funny associations that, that this idea of leisure has with um, with education. 
why is that the case? Have we lost something there? Yeah, I think so in some, in some regard. And so we just talked about this um, before this last break, but um, having this kind of disability to receive the world that God made, right, and to be in tune with it. Um, that, that is that picture of, of Mary. That's that picture uh, that we have of, um, of seeing clearly what's actually there. Um, so you talked about theory, um, and, and the, the root of that, that word in Greek, theoria, uh, has to do with sight. It has to do with being able to see. Um, and so if our eyes are pulled away from what is essential by all these other things, if, if our vision is, is, is con- constantly sort of, um, you know, distracted, right? If there's a competition for our attention, and there totally is today, right? There absolutely is, especially, again, back, going back to digital media. Um, what does that mean? How, how ought we to live? Um, so I think school, um, you know, this is one reason, practical reason, uh, when you talk about school and educational culture, why the Oaks, um, I'll just use that as an example, does not allow cell phones in the classroom, right? It doesn't allow cell phones on campus. Um, we don't... We, we want to cultivate a sense of attention, right? Um, which um, the philosopher Simone Weil says is the essence of prayer, right? So, um, if you know, if we if our schools are full of digital media and computers and and iPads and you know uh, tech, um, this this is going to compete for our attention. So, you know, I uh, you made me think about a definition of silence that came from my philosophy professor. Um, He said that silence is that state in which being becomes manifest. Mm. In other words, the deeper dimension of things are permitted. They have space to come out into the open. But when we are too active, and then we end up trying to manipulate, to control, to make. And and you can never get to the depth dimension of things, the the metaphysical dimension, the dimension of being and these fundamental attributes of being. Mm -hmm. You have to be present in a certain mode of being before them in order for the depth dimensions to have space to come forth. And so uh, that, again, speaks to why do I have my kids sit in silence? That silence is not the absence of noise. That's right. Silence isn't just simply the gaps between the words spoken. Right. Right, uh, but that whole way of seeing silence yeah. has been radically diminished or lost yeah. in a frenzied culture. Yeah, it says get busy, get busy, get busy. Right, right. right. people can't no. walk across a college campus without having some right. their AirPods in and keeping the noise going because right. I'm frightened. Yeah, of that's right. That's right. It confronts us with our our being. <laughs> that there, there's a that passage Psalm. Uh, 46. I think in the in the Vulgate it's Psalm 45:11. Be still and know that I am God. Right. But in the Latin, it's uh, the word is vacate, the, the verb. Where do we get vacation? Right. Uh, vacate et videte, quonium ergo sum Deus. So this idea of 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 being still again goes back to leisure um, and and being confronted, being okay with being confronted with. Your being, your your identity, um, your true identity, uh, as a soul and as a as a human. Um, it also reminds me, just because you're talking, we're talking about silence. The role of the liturgy, maybe, um, 
I grew up in a church that was very uh, production-oriented. Um, it was almost like a... Call it a non-liturgical. Yeah, a non-liturgical yeah. church, yes. Um, smokes, smoke machines and Balloons lights and <laughs> camera action. Uh, and, that's, and I'm being serious. Um, and uh, it was like, it, there's, we can't have any downtime, right? Any kind of silence, any kind of awkward, long pauses... Right, it's just it's dead air. Right, we cannot have that. And and eventually going to a, a much higher liturgical church and just seeing how much stillness happens in the, in the normal rhythms of the liturgy, um, you know, that took a. The, I, I actually was so blessed by that. <laughs> yeah. I love I love to reference. This is a Gregory the Great thing. You know, in the choirs of angels, the the second highest choir, the cherubim. And, the, and and their identity is found in their mission, right? That's yeah. what distinguishes yeah. angels, right? Yeah. So do you know what the mission of the cherubim is? They were created to praise. Mm. That's the second highest of all the calls of all the angels is the mission to praise God. That's what they're created for all eternity, praising God. Mm. The highest, the seraphim. Do you know what they were created to do? To gaze. Oh, yeah. To contemplate God. Eyes, right. So that's all they are. They were created to gaze upon God. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a way in which praise and gaze are two fundamental ways that we worship. Yeah. And it's easy to focus on the outward, okay, let's sing well, yeah. which can be a challenge all by itself. Sure. But what about to gaze well, mm -hmm. to, to have that contemplative gaze? Yeah. Like learn from the angels, learn from the order that God has created. That's all right, we have great. about a minute left. Uh, Devin, what do you want to leave us with? Oh, man. Um well, again, I, just picking up on that theme of, of gazing, um, you know, Jesus says the eyes is the lamp of the body, right? Um, uh, and if your eye be uh, evil, right, that's a problem. Um, uh, let your eye, he says, be single. Uh, is, the, is like a KJV translation, or let your eye be simple. Uh, and, that, and that Greek word really has to do with um, um, not it, unfolded really is the literal translation. Let your eye be unfolded, open to what is actually there, um, which is, I think, uh, again, that receptive posture of Mary. Here's my last point. Uh, you, when I read your book, The Age of Martha, called The Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture, and you were referencing uh, Aquinas, um, and you mentioned magnanimity in there. Oh. You know, he describes the, the person who's magnanimous, who's striving to do great things. Yeah. And he says that the magnanimous person is not in a hurry. Oh. Isn't that awesome? That's so good. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. There's the final point. There well, you go. Devin, thank you so Love much it. for being with me today on Sound Insight. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.